It was a, a Friday night a couple of months ago, and I was uh, walking around my, my living room with no shoes on because I'm from the South and that's just what we do. And I was minding my own business, getting ready to relax that evening, and all of a sudden I felt it. I felt it. I felt an intense pain. I, I felt something I had never felt before. I felt a piercing. I felt like I had been stabbed or like I had stepped on a piece of glass. My, my toes became numb. My, my, my legs started tingling and the pain even went up to my, to my knee. Now, those of you from Arizona, you know what happened to me in that moment, right? You know exactly what happened to me in that moment. You know, from those, those of you from Arizona, you know that in that moment, I had been stung by a scorpion. Let me ask you something. You ever been stung by a scorpion before? Ever been stung by a scorpion? If so, you know this. You know that even though a scorpion is a very small creature, it packs a powerful punch. It hits and it hits hard. The little stinger it, it has, it leaves a lasting impression. I'm going to tell you all something. There is a book in the Bible that actually reminds me of that. Like those little bitty scorpions we come across in the valley from time to time. There's actually a book in the Bible that even though it is small and it's easy to miss, it packs a powerful punch. It stings and it pierces. Even though it's only made up of 25 verses, it leaves a lasting impression. And so I want to ask you to study that book with me this morning. I want to ask you to get out your Bible and make your way to the book of Jude. Will you go into your Bible with me to the book of Jude this morning? I want to ask you to go into your Bible with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude... It's a very interesting book in our New Testament. It is a small book. It's often neglected, often overlooked, but it contains a relevant message for Christians living in any generation. And so I want to begin this lesson by reading the first four verses of Jude. Jude's only one chapter. It's right before the book of Revelation, right before the last book of the Bible. And notice what it says in the first four verses. Jude 1. Jude 1 says this, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you, beloved, verse 3, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I just want you to notice a few important observations from these first four verses here in the book of Jude. First notice how verse 1 of this book begins in the same way that many other books in our New Testament begin. 
this letter also begins by telling us about the writer. It tells us some things about the writer Jude. Notice how Jude first considered himself to be, according to verse 1, he first considered himself to be a bondservant or a slave of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing he wants us to know about him. But then the second thing he wants us to know to know about him is he also was the brother of James. Which James is Jude talking about there? Well, the James Jude is talking about there is the same James who also wrote the book of James. It's the same James, according to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 7, that Jesus personally appeared to after he was raised from the dead. It's the same James who was also the brother of Jesus. The James that Jude is talking about here. It's the James who was the brother of Jesus, and that also means that Jude is a brother of Jesus. Jude is also related to Jesus, and then notice secondly how Jude tells his audience here that he originally wanted this letter to contain a very positive and encouraging message. He says in verse number three that he originally wanted this letter to be about the common salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, but he changed his mind. He picked up the pen and made an audible instead of writing to them about the common salvation that Christians enjoy in Jesus Christ due to the threat they were facing from the outside. Jude says that he had to make this entire letter a warning. It had to be a warning. It had to be a warning against false teachers. Notice how in verse number four, Jude says that at this time, the church was dealing with certain persons who were creeping in unnoticed. They were creeping in undercover and under the radar. They were ungodly persons who opposed the true gospel And they wanted to promote false doctrines. Jude says he had to change gears and made this entire letter a warning concerning false teachers. And that's actually a recurring theme we find in the scriptures. I mean, yes, Jude and Jude 4 is warning us against false teachers. But did not Jesus do the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew chapter 7, does not Jesus warn his people against false teachers? He talks about teachers who would come among his people in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they were ravenous wolves. Jesus warns his people against false teachers. And then what about 1 John 4 and verse 1? Where John tells the people of God to test the spirits. Because at that time, there were many false prophets who had gone out into the world. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter devotes an entire chapter to warning the people of God against false teachers and the spiritual damage they can do. And then you should have recognized this in your Bible reading last week. You've been keeping up with that Bible reading? Did you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 last week? Remember in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about false apostles and false preachers and false prophets who appear to be angels of light. But the reality is they're really workers of Satan. You see, this idea of false teachers, false teachers and false preachers, they're they're all throughout the Bible. 
They were prevalent in the first century world, and they're also prevalent in our time today. And the question is, the question is, what does Jude have to say about them? What does Jude have to say in this letter about the false teachers who were infiltrating the church at this time? Well, I want you to notice how there are a lot of different things that Jude, Jude has to say about false teachers. And the first thing he says to us about them is they were perverting the grace of God. You see that in verse number four, they're perverting the grace of God. They are turning the grace of God into licentiousness. What does Jude mean when he says that? What does it mean to turn the grace of God into licentiousness? Well, listen carefully. When Jude says that these false teachers, these ungodly persons were turning the grace of God into licentiousness, what he means is at this time there were false teachers turning the grace of God into something God never intended it to be. He means they were perverting the grace of God. They were saying things like that God's amazing grace gives us a license to sin. They were saying things like God's grace is so amazing. And it's so big and it's so wonderful that it really doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how we live. It doesn't matter what kind of choices we make in our lives. We can do whatever we want to do, live however we want to live. And guess what? God's grace will cover it. God's grace will take care of it. That's the kind of doctrine they were teaching. And that false doctrine is still being promoted in our world today. That false doctrine is being promoted whenever we hear of churches condoning a homosexual lifestyle or transgender lifestyle. That doctrine is being promoted whenever we hear of churches condoning couples living together without the benefit of marriage or condoning couples that are in unlawful marriages. That doctrine is even being promoted through the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Are you familiar with the doctrine of once saved, always saved? That's part of Calvinist doctrine. Remember, the doctrine of once saved, always saved says that once you get saved, once you get a relationship with God, usually by faith only salvation, well, then it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what kind of choices you make in your life. In your life, you could you could curse God. You could curse Jesus. You could murder somebody. You could cheat on your spouse. Live, shack up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, engage in a homosexual or transgender lifestyle. You can do whatever you want to do and you're still going to be saved. You're still going to go to heaven. Your ticket to heaven has been punched and there's nothing you can do to change that. That is essentially what the doctrine of once saved, always saved suggests. And that is a perversion of the grace of God. That is a perversion of the grace of Jesus Christ. These people like so many today in the time of Jude, had turned the grace of our God into licentiousness. But not only were they doing that, another thing they were doing is they were denying Jesus. They were denying Jesus as the only master and the only Lord. How exactly were they doing that? Well, maybe, maybe they were denying his deity. 
Maybe they were denying the fact that when he was on this earth, he was literally God in the flesh. Maybe they were denying his authority. Maybe they were denying his lordship. Maybe they were saying that he was merely a good man who said a bunch of good stuff, but he really shouldn't be obeyed. He really shouldn't be submitted to. We really shouldn't have to submit to his authority. Maybe these people were Gnostics. Maybe they were people who promoted the idea that Jesus didn't really come into the world as both God and man, but he just appeared to be a man. He just appeared to be someone in the flesh. He just appeared to have a human body, but the reality was he was just a spirit walking around. You see, it's interesting how Jude doesn't tell us exactly how these people were denying Jesus as the only master and Lord. All we know is there were a group of people at this time who were doing the same thing or who were doing that very thing. But not only were they doing that, denying Jesus, I want you to notice something else they were doing. Look at verse 11. Drop down to verse 11, please, of the text. We go to Jude verse 11. Jude 11 says this. He says, woe to them. For they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Then there's a lot, there's a lot we could say about those verses right there. But due to time, let me just point out a, a few things very quickly. First, I want you to notice how in addition to these things we've pointed out so far, some other things that Jude tells us about the false teachers at this time is they were like a lot of bad people. They were like a lot of bad people that we could read about in the Bible. They were like a bunch of bad people you could read about in your Old Testament. He says they were like Cain. You remember Cain? Remember who Cain was? Remember what Cain did? Remember Cain was someone who didn't please God. He was someone who didn't please God in his worship. He didn't please God in his service. He actually offered up to God worship that God rejected. And his heart was so far away from God that he murdered his own brother. Jews says these false teachers are like Cain. And he also says they're like Balaam. Remember who Balaam was? Remember, we can read about Balaam in the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 22, remember Balaam was a man who became a stumbling block for the people of God as they were traveling in the wilderness. He was someone who tried to scheme and plot and find ways to hinder the people of God from making it to their destination. He was a covetous man who opposed the will of God. Jude says the false teachers are like Cain. And they're also like Balaam. And then thirdly, he mentions Korah. Now you should remember Korah. We actually had a sermon about Korah about a month ago, right? Remember, we can read about Korah also in the book of Numbers. Korah was someone who rebelled against God's choices. He rebelled against God's leaders. He rebelled against Moses and Aaron and their leadership because he felt he could do a better job than them. He was a wicked man who was punished by God. 
Jude says these false teachers are just like these guys. They're just like Cain. They're just like Balaam. They're just like Korah, but he's still not done. Remember, he also said this. He said they're like clouds without water and autumn trees without fruit. What does that mean? Well, that means this. That means these false teachers, they had nothing good to offer. It means they were useless and they were fruitless. Now, they may, may, be, they may sound good to listen to. They may be polished in their preaching. They may keep your attention maybe in their podcast today. They may be charismatic and full of zeal and passion, but their words are empty. Their words are vain. Their words do not please God. They're like clouds without water and autumn trees without fruit. And because of that, Jew says they're going to be punished. They're going to be punished by God. Look at verse number five of the text, please. Go back up to verse five and notice what Jude says sandwiched between the verses we have just been reading earlier in this lesson. In verse number five, he says, Now I desire to remind you, though, you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulge in the gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example and undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. I want you to notice in these passages how Jude mentions three different groups of people. Do you see that? Three different groups of people. Verse number five. In verse number five, the first thing he does is he mentions those who were saved out of Egypt. He mentions those Israelites who were saved out of Egypt. He says that even though God delivered Israel out of Egyptian bondage, those who rebelled against him, they were punished. They received judgment. They were destroyed because they did not continue believing in the Lord. And then in verse number six, he mentions angels. You see that in verse six? He mentions some angels who, for whatever reason, they've rebelled against God. They've rejected God, and as a result, they are also being punished by God. They are being kept in spiritual bondage. And then in verse number seven, he mentions the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He mentions those people in Genesis chapter 19 who lived in those wicked city and because they engaged in gross sexual immorality and went after strange flesh, they also received judgment from God. What's Jude's point in all those verses? Well, the point is false teachers are going to be punished. They're going to be punished just like those people were punished. They're going to be punished just like those Israelites who rebelled against God after they were delivered from Egyptian bondage. They're going to be punished just like those angels are being punished because they've rebelled against the will of God. They're going to be punished like the wicked people who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, their punishment won't involve 
having fire and brimstone rain down on them from heaven. Instead, it's going to involve, Jude says, eternal fire. It's going to involve suffering forever and the fires of hell. What I want you to see is this, my dear friends. I want you to see the book of Jude is a warning. It's a warning. It's a warning concerning false teachers. It's a warning concerning false preachers and false prophets. It is a warning against those who are trying to deceive and lead the people of God astray. And I submit to you, that's a relevant message. That is a relevant message, even for us as 21st century Christians. We need to hear that message because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we also are surrounded by false teachers. We're surrounded by false preachers and false prophets. I mean, they're all over TV. There's some mornings when I get up, turn on the TV, and it doesn't take me long at all to find a bunch of different false teachers. Sometimes I find false teachers on TV preaching the prosperity gospel. And sometimes I find preachers preaching the idea that the law of Moses, the Old Testament law, is still binding on the people of God. And then sometimes I'll come across some preachers who will say to you, if you want to be saved, all you got to do is say a prayer. Just recite this prayer and you'll become a Christian. False teachers are all over TV. They're on so many TV stations, but they're not just there. They also make millions and millions of dollars selling books. And many of them got popular YouTube channels and podcasts and false teachers can even be in our family. You know, I can remember the first person I taught the gospel to and baptized into Christ when I started doing local work in Central Florida back in 2008. It was a lady. Her, her, her name was Dolores. Dolores. Gigi and I went to Dolores' house for several weeks. We sat in her living room, and we had the Bible. She had a Bible, and we just, we just studied the Bible. We taught her about Jesus. We taught her about salvation found in Jesus and what to do to receive forgiveness from Jesus and to the glory of God. After a few weeks, she was pierced. She was convicted by the gospel. She surrendered to the Lord's commandment to be baptized for the remission of our sins. But about two months later, I started noticing she was she was missing services a bunch. She hadn't come to church in about two or three weeks, and I got a little concerned about that. And so on a Monday morning, I picked up my phone and I called her. I asked her, you know, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Is everything okay? And she said, yeah, everything's okay. She said everything was just fine, but she wasn't going to be attending where we were anymore. She said she wasn't going to be attending with us anymore. Because her brother, who was a preacher, he disagreed with, she, with what she had done. She said when her brother, who is a preacher or a pastor, found out that she had been baptized for the remission of her sins, well, he got angry about that. 
He was furious about that. He didn't agree with her decision. And he told her that I was a false teacher and that person does not have to be baptized in order to be saved. Even though Peter said the opposite in Acts 2 verse 38. And Jesus says the opposite in Mark 16 and verse 16. And countless other pastors say the opposite. He said, no, I was the false teacher. And she listened to him. She had a false teacher in her family who deceived her and led her astray, even though the Bible is very clear about this matter. There are false teachers all around us. They're on TV, all over the Internet. Sometimes they're in our families. And we got to beware of them. We got to be on guard against them. In fact, Jude's going to tell us in verse number three that we got to battle against them. We got to go to war against them. We got to contend for the faith, earnestly contend for the faith that has been once and for all handed down to the saints. What does Jude mean when he tells us that we must contend earnestly for the faith? What is the faith there in that verse? Well, the faith there in that verse, my friends, is not talking about your faith. It's not talking about your personal faith. It's not talking about your personal faith in Jesus and your personal faith in God. No, when Jude talks about earnestly contending for the faith there, that's exactly what he means. He's talking about the faith. He's talking about the source of faith. He's talking about the one faith, according to Ephesians 4 and verse 4. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the word of God. He says that God has revealed his complete will for our lives once and for all in the gospel, in his word. You know what that means practically? That means practically that God is not giving any new revelation today. God is not speaking to you at a different time than he's speaking to me. God is not communicating with us through dreams and visions and prophets. The only revelation we have from God today is right there in your lap. It's the Bible. It's the gospel. It is the faith which has once and for all been handed down to the saints. We have the complete will of God in front of us this morning, and we must contend for it. We must guard it. We must fight for it. We must defend it with every fiber of our being. The question is, how do we do that? How do we contend for the faith? How do we defend the faith? How do we guard the faith that has been once and for all revealed to the saints? Well, I want to give you a few practical things very quickly, and then we'll go to our Bible classes. How do we contend for the faith as we have to go against false teachers? Well, the first thing we got to do is we got to know it. You got to know the faith. We got to study the faith. We got to grow in our knowledge of the faith. We got to do things like, like our daily Bible reading. That's why we do daily Bible reading around here. We got to come to Bible classes. We got to listen carefully to whenever preaching and teaching is being done from this pulpit. We got to utilize the numerous resources we have on our website and on our Facebook page to grow in our knowledge of the word of God. We have to know the faith. We can't defend the faith if we don't know the faith. We got to know the faith. But not only must we know the faith, you know what else we got to do? We got to evaluate teachers. 
We got to evaluate every teacher. Jesus told us to do that in Matthew 7 and verse 20 when he says, you will know them by their fruits. You'll be able to recognize a teacher of truth from a teacher of error by their fruit. And then in Acts 17 and verse 11, remember when the apostle Paul was among the Bereans, even though he's an apostle, an inspired apostle, the Bible says the Bereans did what? They searched the scriptures daily for what reason? To see whether those things were so, to see if he was teaching the truth. Listen carefully, my friends. I don't care who it is. I don't care who it is that stands in this pulpit. It's not enough for a man to stand in this pulpit. It's not enough for him to just have a Bible and read to you from the Bible. No, you got to make sure that any teacher that gets up here is using the Bible correctly. I don't care if it's Sean Jeffries. I don't care if it's Brian Sheely. I don't care if it's Mark Roberts is going to be here in a few weeks for a gospel meeting. I don't care if it's one of our shepherds. I don't care who it is. It could be your favorite podcaster that you listen to every single day. Always evaluate what a man is saying with the word of God. We must evaluate teachers. And we got to open our mouths. Go in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read something to you from there in just a moment. But let me just say this as you turn there. If false teachers come among us, and it could be possible that, that we're infiltrated by false teachers at some point. If that happens, none of us, none of us, we, we, we can't be cowards. We can't sit back and do nothing. No, we got to open our mouths and we got to speak. We got to disarm the false teachers. We got to render their false teaching powerless with the word of God. And that's what Paul tells us to do in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24. Verse 24, the Lord's bondservant, that's all of us. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible says we got to say something. Can't be quiet. When we hear error being promoted, especially among the spiritual family, we must open our mouths and speak what is right. And we got to pray. We got to pray. We got to be praying all the time that God will give us wisdom and God will give us faith and God will give, give us courage to be able to speak out and defend the faith whenever those opportunities arise. That's what Jude says in verse number 20. When you go back to Jude in verse 20, Jude talks about building up ourselves in the most holy faith, praying in the spirit. We have to pray. We got to pray even when it comes to defending the faith and we got to keep ourselves in the love of God. Do you see that in Jude 21? I'm going to Jude 21. And after Jude talks about praying in the Holy Spirit, he then says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Interesting. Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Jude says we got to keep ourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? But when Jude says that, what he means is we got to always stay close to God. We got to avoid getting away from God, getting away from the truth. We got to make sure that we just don't we just don't teach what's right, but we got to live what's right. We got to do what's right. We got to always make sure we're being close to God, nurturing our relationship with him through prayer and through his word. And we got to help each other. You see that in verse number 22 of the book? 
Jude 22, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others. Look at that. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. We have a responsibility to each other. You see that? Jude says, when I see a brother or a sister in spiritual danger, when I see a member of my family having a weak faith and having doubts and on the verge of departing from the faith, I got to take action. I got to have mercy. I have to have love. I got to launch out on a rescue mission to snatch them out of the fire. That's my responsibility as a Christian, as a member of the body of Christ. And let me just close with this also. Let me also say that we need to contend for the faith by praying for our shepherds. We need to be praying for our shepherds. So you pray for the shepherds every single day. Go on your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read one more section and we're going to close. In Acts chapter 20, we got to pray for our shepherds because part of their responsibility, part of the reason why we have shepherds in local churches is because God wants them to guard the flock against false teachers. He wants them to guard the flock, his flock, from the wolves who want to come in among them and destroy them. And look at what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, verse number 28, Paul says, be on guard for yourselves. They got to guard themselves first. And then for all the flock, not just some of the flock, all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. Why must they shepherd? Well, verse 29 says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, even the eldership, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Paul tells these men, men who lead a local church, to guard, to shepherd, to defend, to defend the sheep from the wolves. That's what shepherds do. That is part of their responsibility and praise the Lord that we've been able to appoint even for more here in the last few weeks, right? That is a blessing. That is one of the biggest blessings we have had all year. We have eight, eight men here in this church who love this flock who care about this flock, who know this flock and know the word of God, and they are more than capable of guarding and protecting us from the wolves. And we need to pray for them every day. Now, I realize there may be a whole lot more you want to know about the book of Jude. There's a lot more I want to say about this book, but for now, just appreciate this. Just appreciate How even though this book is small and easy to miss, its main purpose is to warn us. It's to warn us against false teachers and false prophets. It's to motivate us to be soldiers and courageously defend God's word. You see, contrary to what the vast majority of religious people say today, the book of Jude teaches us that it matters what we believe. It matters what we believe, it matters what we teach, it matters what we promote, and this is especially true when it comes to salvation. Remember in Jude 3, Jude talks about a common salvation. Do you see that? 
common salvation. That's what he wanted to talk about originally. When Jude talks about common salvation there, he doesn't mean that you can be saved one way and I can be saved another way. He doesn't mean that there are many different paths that will lead us to heaven in a relationship with God. Instead, he means that when it comes to salvation, we all are saved the same way. We're all saved God's way. We're all, if we're going to be saved, we're going to be saved according to the gospel. And so the question is, have you taken part in that? Have you been taking, taking part in the common salvation? If you have not, then you have an opportunity to do so this morning. If that means you need to do so for the first time through faith and repentance and baptism for remission of sins, or if it means that you have gotten off the right path as a Christian and you need to come back to God, come back to the Lord, and we can pray with you and pray for you. Whatever you need to do this morning to get right with God, let us help you with that right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.